0: Hey everyone, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon. It will begin in just a minute. Before it does, I want to ask a few things of you. First, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, and you listen on some type of podcast host, would you subscribe? If you do that, then you'll be notified immediately when a new podcast is uploaded. And plus, we have some other audio content in the works, and if you'll subscribe, you'll be one of the first people to know about that. Along those same lines, if you find this podcast and these sermons to be helpful to your life, would you do us a favor and leave us a rating or review on your podcast host? Doing so helps our sermons be heard by more people, and as I've said before, we think that's really important. And finally, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it would be great if you would consider making a financial donation. You can do that by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org/give. And actually, one more thing. If God uses this sermon in any way to impact your life, please let me know about it. You can do so by emailing respond at creekside.me. It would... Give me great joy to know that God used my words. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. We have started a new series on the new life that Jesus can bring. As Brandon said earlier, it offers us a new identity. And many don't even know what that identity is. They don't even know what a new life in Christ should be. And I set this up last week by saying... I think that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're a person who's been a Christian a long time or you're a brand new Christian, <clears throat> whether you're a person who has seen tons of growth and your life looks very different than, than the life that you lived before you became a Christian or you're a person who's been a Christian forever and, and you can't see any difference at all, I think this sermon series is perfect. I think it's perfect time for you to be here because no matter what, I think that you and I both Want this life in Christ to present to provide something that is different. I I think that as I look around and I talk to people and I check Facebook and I uh, look at all that stuff, it it seems like everybody wants something better. Like there's this uh, just this unsatisfied longing for a a better. Way of life, and and we don't often see it in anybody. We don't often see it, and and we want to see it. And so today we're going to look at, at the first thing that I think that can be so different about this new life in Christ. And uh, I think that that while this this first thing that we'll look at in a second uh, might seem like one of those no-brainers, like if you're a Christian, if you've ever read the Bible, you're like. Well, obviously, I think that we forget that what we'll see in this is a part of the new life in Christ and not something that we can have apart from Christ or his resurrection. And when you remember that it is tied, strictly tied to the fact that Jesus died and rose again, then I think you'll start to embrace this aspect of this new life in Christ that, that we have been offered if we're Christians. And, and I'll start just by by saying this, Um, I have a tendency, and maybe you do too, to take relationships for granted, Uh, and it seems like, if you're anything like me, then the longer you've been in a relationship with somebody, and the more kind and caring and forgiving that person is, the more I have a tendency to take that person for granted and what they might mean to me. And so, like, if you are a long time part of my family, somebody that's blood, I know you'll you'll always forgive me and you'll always be in a relationship with me. Then I could forget to call you for years, but if we just met and and, and it 's like well, i'd like to develop a friendship with you and and things like that then then i 'll probably remember to call you, but with you know my grandma it 's like well she 'll be there tomorrow you know and and I can just take advantage take for granted uh, is probably a better way to say it these long term relationships, especially with people who are 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 really nice i mean let 's just say it like that the people that are really nice, we take. For granted, these relationships that we have with them, and and I believe that this is true for so many of us when it comes to a relationship with God. Like even if you just have a, a nominal idea about this being that we call God, who's all powerful and all knowing, can do what he wants, who's in control and rules over all of us. Even if you just have like, you know. Just a little bit of an understanding of that God and what the Bible says about that God and what Christians declare about that God, then you know like he loves us and he cares about us. And you know that he's loved us and cared about us forever. And you know that he's loved us and cared about us no matter what we've done. And I just mean we as people. In fact, I would, I would say that the Old Testament, which is really the story of the Jewish nation, the Israelite nation, I would say it's, it's ultimately a story about God loving these people, the Israelites, the Jews, loving them, and they, in return, saying, well, God's probably going to love us no matter what we do, so we'll just take for granted this relationship with us. And then God punishing them, and them going, oh boy, but maybe we should pay attention to what he's actually said about having a relationship with him. And then doing that for like a day, and God saying, okay, I forgive you. And them saying, well, yeah, we're going to do what we want again, because God will forgive us again, right? And so the, the whole Old Testament, like the majority of, of the Bible, is the story about these people who know that God loves them, who know that God will forgive will forgive them, who know that God cares about them, who know that God has promised a relationship with them. And so out of that, they just take for granted their relationship with God until he pulls it back and he says things like, I'm going to remove my presence from your land, or I'm not going to shine my face upon you, and he pulls away that relationship, not forever, but for a short time, and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, and I think that one of the reasons, I'll just be up front about this, one of the reasons that you look at the Christian people around you that you look at people that you know that are Christians and, and they've been Christians forever and their lives don't look any different it is in large part because they have taken for granted the fact that they have the opportunity to have a relationship with God. And, and I believe that a lot of people who aren't Christians think that, that a relationship with God is a given. Like, well, it's just, you know, he's loving. And they think that because of what the Bible says, but, but they don't think about the cost that it cost him in order to have a relationship with him, in order for us to have a relationship with him. And so even people who are thinking about becoming Christians are like, well, I have a relationship with God and they have a relationship with God. What's the difference? What does it matter? What is the point of having a new life when the life I have is already seemingly connected to God in some way? And this passage we're gonna look at is is really, I mean, here's what it's gonna say. It's gonna say, A relationship with God was never a given, is not a given. And in fact, it cost God everything in order for us to have a relationship with him. And my goal this morning is that we will be reminded why we couldn't have a relationship with God, but how we can have a relationship with God. And whether you're not a Christian, you're thinking about becoming a Christian, that's why you showed up here today, or whether you've been a Christian forever and ever and ever, you, you once again would go, wow, Wow, I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And even more, this relationship has benefits, brings great things that I could not have apart from a relationship with the creator of the universe, so let's just look at Romans 4, 18, we're going to look at verses 18 through 25 this morning, but it it just starts this way, this just little simple phrase, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, now we're going to talk about that, if you have no uh, background with this character named Abraham, he's a character in the Old Testament, and he has a big part of the story of God, and and we're not going to tell all of that, but verses 18 through 22, the second half, 18 through 22, kind of tell the the main part of his story that matters to what we're going to talk about this morning. But let me just kind of look at this and say, this is what Christianity asks you to do. It asks you to believe things that are physically impossible, That's the religion of Christianity to believe things that are not possible apart from God. And especially what we're going to see at the end of this is is in the resurrection. And so let's just get it out there in front of us. The story of Christianity is that God came to earth, He died on a cross, and three days later He rose again from the grave. He got out of the grave. The story of Christianity is that there lived a man named Jesus who was totally perfect in morality. He never did anything wrong. You say, well, never, never. That's what the Bible tells us. Like, well, he had to yell at his mom once, you know, when he was a teenager. Never. Like, well, he had to tell one lie. Never. Like, well, he had to, you know, like get in a fight with a friend once at school. Never. Never. I mean, that's what the story of Christianity says, that Jesus never did the things that come so easy to you that you just assume every other person must have done. He never did any of it. He lived perfectly, and at the end of that perfect life, he was nailed to a cross for your sins, for the things that you've done wrong. Well, that's weird, right? I mean, that's a strange thing to believe, that somebody could take the punishment of my sin like... I yelled at my mom when I was a kid, and Jesus somehow, when he was nailed to the cross, he was killed for that. When he died, when this guy that lived 2,000 2000 plus years ago died, he actually in some way did that for me. That doesn't make any sense. And then after three days, this man who lived perfectly and then died for my sins, he just came back to life? Like he was actually dead, and he actually came back to life? That's that's Christianity. That's what we ask people to believe. One of the reasons that we have church and do church the way that we do is so that if you don't believe that, you'll at least consider believing that. If you're a Christian, then you already believe that. But it's, we just take it for granted because like we, you know, we just celebrated Easter. That's just what it is. But that's that's crazy. Craziness. Foolishness is Paul Describes it. The man who wrote this letter—that's foolishness to people who don't believe it, but are actually paying attention to what it says. And Paul sets up what he's going to say about Abraham and about this Christian life by saying, "Look, Abraham, against all hope, he believed in God, and that's really—let me be honest with you—that's really what I'm asking you to do. If you're not a Christian, I'm—I'm asking you to believe things." that simply seem unbelievable, and if you're a Christian, let's just be clear here, we act like everybody's an idiot that doesn't believe what we believe, but we are asking people to believe we believe something that at first glance seems unbelievable, and this is exactly what Abraham chose to do, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed God. Despite all of the physical evidence, we'll see this in a minute, all of the physical evidence, all of what his senses could tell him, Abraham chose to believe God anyway. In hope. I love the phrase, against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And there was benefit for him in verses 18 through 22, continuing 18. so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be without weakening his faith. He faced the fact, this is the impossible part. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. So here's the story of this guy named Abraham. God makes this incredible promise to Abraham. Hey, Abraham, you will be the father of many nations. It's a weird promise, but that's the promise that comes to him. In other words, you will be the grandfather and the great-grandfather and the great-great-great-grandfather of so many offspring that they will make up not families, but nations. Now, that's okay. That's, you know, if we go an infiniti- infinity amount of time, an infinite amount of time, that's the word I'm looking for. If we go an infinite amount of time forward, well, that will kind of be true about us. But But Abraham... <laughs> was 100 years old, about 100 years old, Hebrews eleven twelve 12 tells us. He was past the age of making babies, and Sarah was barren. She was unable to have children. Now this promise is a little more ridiculous, right? <laughs> a good one, God. Like I can't have one kid, let alone be the father of many nations. In the scientific realm, what God promised was not going to happen. When it came to what Abraham could experience and look at and test and think about, it was impossible. And so what God says in Romans, what Paul describes about Abraham is not that Abraham believed God, but that Abraham believed God to do something that seemed impossible. Seemed impossible. It says that Abraham believed God despite the fact that all the evidence pointed against what God declared actually happening. And there's all these phrases that I just, they're inspiring to me. And I, I think that, that it's cool just to look at these phrases because because it's like the faith that I want to have, it's who I want to be, and I think it's the faith that will help us have a vastly different and better life in our new life if we'll just be more like Abraham. It says, without weakening in his faith, he faced that his body was as good as dead. He did not weaken. He knew that, that there was problems with the promises of God actually taking place as far as science went, as far as what he could see. He knew that that what God was declaring could not happen in and of itself. It was not going to take place without a movement, a miraculous movement of God. But he was not weakened in his faith. It says he did not waver in his faith. This doesn't mean that he had no momentary doubts, you know, just doubts that come into your head. All of you, if you're Christians, have had moments of doubt. That's not what this means. This means that Abraham did not let a prolonged doubt be at the heart of his soul. It, it means that God, I mean, Abraham did not let the doubts remain. And, and when he doubted, he chose to believe God instead of believing himself and what he could see and what he could feel and what he could experience. Abraham did not waver he said, look, I don't get it. I, I feel like this maybe is impossible, but God, I believe you. He made a decision to believe God every day. And in that, his faith was strengthened. He was strengthened in his faith. Douglas Moo said, anything gains strength in meeting and overcoming opposition. Muscles when weights are raised. Holiness when temptation is successfully resisted. And Abraham's faith was strengthened because there was all of this weight against it. Like everything he saw said, don't believe God. And Abraham said, I I will believe God anyway. I will believe God. And in it, his faith was strengthened. And he was able to give glory to God. When we learn to trust God over and above our circumstances then it brings glory to God. It shows God for who he is. It teaches the world about what God is like. It ascribes worth to God and value to God and says, hey, I believe God is the most important being. We have these phrases that basically demonstrate to us that that despite circumstances, Abraham said, I'm gonna believe God anyway. I'm going to believe God despite what I can see, what I can feel, and what my experiences tell me. And then it says why. And I think the why is just so important because if you're like me, every day you wake up and and you'll face things that will that will test will test your faith and whether you really have the faith in God that you, whether you really uh, believe him to do the things that he says he will do. Like one of my favorite things I quoted in a lot of sermons is, is God saying that he will make good out of everything for those who love him. And, and then it's like, well, that's a great promise when I'm feeling good and I'm at church. But then my coworker yells at me and it's like, eh, I'm not sure God could really, really make something good out of this. And, and, and our faith is tested every day no matter where we are in our faith. And 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 here's, just at the heart of it, he says he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. The promise of God is actually moved to the front of this sentence. And uh, in Greek, that construction is really used for emphasis instead of throw an italics on a, a phrase or put an exclamation point at the end or I guess in our, our modern way of doing things using all caps because we type so much, you know. Instead of any of that, uh, instead of, uh, of an emoji at the end, you just move a phrase to the beginning of the sentence and say, hey, look, this is the part I'm emphasizing and the part th- that is emphasized here is, is the promise of God. And the question becomes in our faith, no matter where you are in your faith, do you believe or not that God has the power to do what He has promised to do? Do you believe it or not? I think we have this metaphysical idea of faith. Faith becomes, for many of us, some kind of gut feeling, intuition. Faith almost is it, it becomes something based on whether or not we ate spicy foods, you know, like, well, I don't, I don't feel like God could do that today, you know, like, and, and our faith is oftentimes just based, uh, I think, in our heads on how we feel. Like, well, I feel like my faith is really strong right now. I think people say that my faith isn't as strong as, as what it ought to be, or my faith is strong right now, or I'm really feeling faithful for Abraham. And for Paul, writing about Abraham thousands of years later, inspired by God to write these things, the question was not about what Abraham felt. The question was simple. Did Abraham believe that God had the power to do what God promised to do? Did Abraham believe, and and the answer is yes for Abraham, did Abraham believe that God had the power to do what God had promised to do? And I think many, you who are Christians, you who are not Christians, you like the idea of placing faith in God, you like the idea of, of being able to trust the promises of God, but if you got alone in a room that maybe, maybe, maybe you would say, no, I don't believe that God has the power to do what he has said he will do. But others of you, and I think this is probably a majority in our midst today, we do believe, but we don't stop to think of it like that, do we? We just think like, I'm scared, or I'm worried, or... You know, like, I mean, we just kind of like, eh, I don't feel so good about this situation, this moment, these things that God has said. I don't feel so great about it. But maybe we should just stop and go, do I really believe? Because maybe you would find that the answer is yes, I do really believe. I mean, God promises, let's just think about the God things that God kind of promises, some things here, like, like God's going to provide for you who love him, he's going to provide for you, and you look at your financial situation, and it doesn't seem at all like God is going to provide for you, you're like, well, I just added up the bills versus the income, there's no way. There's no way. That's how we say There is no way that this is going to work out. It's just not going to happen. And maybe you should just stop, look at your bills, say, yeah, I'm right. This is impossible. But do I believe the promise of God? Do I believe it? that he will provide for me. And if I do believe it, then yes, he will provide for me. Now let me be clear, he's not going to give you everything you want. It doesn't mean that you get to go buy the new car, or you can eat anywhere you want to eat or whatever, but he's going to provide for you and so there's no need to worry. Many people in front of me, I know, you're scared to death of death. You sit around, you freak out about dying. Now the promise of God is that if you're a Christian, then someday you get to go to heaven. You get to go to heaven, and it's going to be better. It's actually going to be a place without any sickness or sorrow or or pain or suffering. And so you sit around and you freak out about dying. And the question becomes, do you believe the promises of God or not? Do you believe that God, excuse me, has the power to fulfill the promises he's made? Do you believe that you will actually have eternal life no matter what sickness you get on this earth? Do you believe God has that power or not? Some of you are so scared about making everybody happy and pleasing everybody. You're so scared that not everybody will like you or that you'll say the wrong thing. And and God has promised to give you fulfillment in the relationship with him. And the question becomes, do you actually believe that God has the power to make you full and whole even if everybody hates your guts? Do you believe it? The question is not how do I feel. The question is not what do these circumstances suggest. The question that we must ask if we're really going to have a new life is do I actually believe that God has the power to fulfill the promises that he has made to me? And too many Christians live their lives on the same principles of everybody who's not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, there's a lot of Christians around you who live their lives based on the same principles. Does this make sense? Does this add up? Will this work out? Is this logical? And that's why we who are Christians don't have much of a different life than those who aren't. That's why. But none of these things are actually The big thing for Paul. Because the big thing for Paul is is just one thing the question of the resurrection. Because for Paul, and I said this last week, for Paul, once he believed that Jesus got out of the grave, once he realized that it was true what these, these few Jewish people had been saying about Jesus dying and rising again, once he realized it was true, everything for him changed. None of the other stuff that I've mentioned to finances or people liking him or or sickness and, and health, none of that stuff actually mattered to him anymore. Once he realized Jesus got out of the grave, And so for Paul, the big question is not any of these things. The question is, do you believe Jesus got out of the grave? Do you believe that Jesus got out of the grave? Because God has the power to do what he has promised to do. And he says this in Romans 4, 23 through 25. The words that was credited to him were not written for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The resurrection, as I've already said, it's impossible if we're basing it on what we've experienced and what we know. Most of us in this room have had a loved one die, somebody we cared about. And did you ever, for a moment, go maybe they'll get back up maybe they'll come back to life you didn't think that you thought they're dead and it hurts and it sucks and i hate it and i'm sad and i'm broken but you never thought they'll probably come back to life maybe they'll get back up maybe they'll come out of the grave maybe their heart heart will start beating and you don't think that because the resurrection resurrection in general Is not something that scientifically works out very often. And so the question for Paul is one of this Do we believe that Jesus actually got out of the grave despite all of our senses and science and what we know, what we've experienced, telling us that it probably didn't? Do we believe that God has the power to rise from the dead? because he promised to do so. And Paul says here, this is what Paul says, and this is why it was so important to Paul. This is what's at stake in the new life for Paul, something that we take for granted. I even say, I would say we take advantage of. I mean, here it is. He says, these words, it was credited to him as righteousness. They weren't just written for for, for Abraham. It was written for us, who, who actually will believe in hope, despite hopelessness, that Jesus came out of the grave. If we believe, then it means it was credited to us as righteousness. And you go, what, who cares, the righteousness? Righteousness is one of those Christian words, right? Like, what does that even mean? We sing about it, we talk about it, we read it in the Bible, and we never pay one bit of attention to it, right? Righteousness, I want to be more righteous, Let's figure out what it means first. That's kind of our attitude towards righteousness. Stick it right up there with holiness, you know, and just things we sanctification, things we just say and we don't really even mean anything except it sounds good when we're in church circles. Pretty much any word that you use only at church and never with your real friends outside of church, that's pretty much one of those words that you just are like, you use it because it sounds Christian, right? Um, I'm so blessed today. Nobody says that outside of church, you know? I'm just improving my righteousness, man. You don't say that at work. And righteousness is one of those words for us. But here's what it it means. The Greek word that translates into righteousness means this. Doing or being what is just and right. The character and acts of a man commanded by and approved of God. In virtue of which the man corresponds with him and his will as ideal and as a standard. It signifies the sum total of all that God commands and approves. Biblically speaking, what righteousness is is doing everything that God has called you to do, commanded you to do right, perfectly and and the word then, because of that, so it, it, it moves forward as words will do, and really what it means in its heart is that. Is a, is a right relationship with God. And so here, you don't, you, this is hard to grasp because, because God is God and we are people and, and we don't have to do everything perfectly in our relationships with others, thank God, because we, we don't and it wouldn't work and so if I had to do everything perfectly with Bryn to have a, a right relationship with Bryn, then it would never, that's my wife, would never work out. Uh, but with God, because he is a holy and perfect, perfect, perfect being. We needed to do everything Right everything we need to fulfill every one of his commands we needed to do everything that he has commanded and called us to do perfectly and, and you know you know even if you're not a christian you don't believe anything i've said so far you know that we have not you've told a lie you felt guilty you've had thoughts that you would never tell to anybody else You've said things that you cannot believe came out of your mouth. I mean, you know that you've done things and you feel guilty and you don't even know why you feel guilty and I'm here to tell you today that it's because somewhere inside of you there is a conscience that, that says, look, this is wrong in the eyes of God. And let me be just so clear about this. What the Bible says is, is we did not have a right relationship with God. In fact, we who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, we didn't have a relationship with God at all. And Jesus died and then rose again. So that if we believe that that happened despite it seemingly impossible, being seemingly impossible, if we do that, then now we can have a right relationship with God. We can be in a relationship with God. Now I think about Paul who wrote these words. And the new life that he had. And I think about what Paul Thought needed to happen in order to have a good relationship with God. Paul was a, a Pharisee, which was a religious leader at the time, and these Pharisees had the strictest standards of almost anybody in the history of the world, the strictest standards of what it meant to be obedient to God. So the Old Testament is filled up with rules and regulations and, and things that people needed to do in order to maintain a good good and close relationship with God. And then the Pharisees came along and they said, well, that's not good enough for us. Let's add more rules and regulations to make sure that we fulfill those first rules and regulations. And so if God said, hey, don't do any work on the Sabbath, God did say that, don't do any work on the Sabbath. Well, they said, hmm, what defines work? Well, if you go over 35 steps on the Sabbath, then you might be considered working. And so we'll tell everybody, only take 34 steps on the Sabbath. And and and, and oh, well, what if you pick up something that's five pounds? Is that too much? Ooh, well, we'll tell everybody, don't pick anything up over four pounds on the Sabbath. And make sure that you only stand up for this certain amount of time. And and let's make sure that people know that, that they can't cook certain foods because if they cook certain foods, it's a little bit too much work. No lasagna, only nachos, you know? because that's so much easier. You know what I mean? This is and, and so Paul from the time he was young would have spent every waking moment saying I got to do this and 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 don't do that 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 because if I don't or if I do and I'm going to break my relationship with God. And I'll need to go to the temple and wash and make sacrifices and kill an animal, literally kill an animal. And, and then I'll have to pray my prayers and go through my rituals and do all these things in order to get back my right relationship with God. And then he meets Jesus on a road, resurrected out of the grave. And God speaks to him. Talks to him and forgives him of all of his sins. And Paul, I believe, for the first time in his life, it's like, wait, I have an actual relationship with God. Now we, listen, listen, we who live after Jesus, even if you're not a Christian who doesn't believe the Bible, we've been inspired by the life of Jesus. And so we believe, even if you don't believe what the Bible says, we believe that we, I think this is where we take for granted a relationship with God. We believe that we just deserve a relationship with God or that everybody gets a relationship with God or that a relationship with God is accessible to all people or that God will give us a relationship with him no matter what. We've never lived under the burden of the law as Paul would describe it. And so we take for granted this relationship that Paul never had despite trying so hard his whole life and we just go, "Uh, God probably loves me. He probably cares about me. He probably sees that I do mostly good things. But for Paul, it changed everything that he could be in a good right relationship with God and he knew that it came at the moment that he believed Jesus got out of the grave even though all science and experience says it can't happen thought a lot about this this week like what would my life be without a relationship with God and it's hard for me because I'm a guy that's been a Christian since I was four years old I got, I don't have experiences where I I don't have, I don't remember experiences, I should say, where I don't have a relationship with God, and I really, and this is one of the reasons I know that I take for granted my relationship with God that comes through this resurrection thing, because, because I'm like, like, that's so, like, theoretical, a relationship with God. What am I going to say to people when I preach? And I thought about it a lot, like, what? Like what, would it, what would be different? What would be different? And, and I don't have everything because, because I am a person who takes for granted my relationship with God, but it's things like this. It's things like knowing in my darkest, hardest times that I can look up to God and say, God, this is horrible. And yet you see it. You look down and you see. And I don't know, God, what you're going to do. But I know you're going to do something that, that is good for me. Why Why do I think that? <laughs> because I have a relationship with God. I would hate to live a life where I go, God, help me with this. And then, and then walk away going, I have no clue. If God's going to work this out for my good or for my bad, I have no clue what's going to come of this. God has not always said yes to my prayers, or, or nor has he answered my prayers in the way that I wanted him to answer them, but at least in the moment where I'm struggling, and I'm hurting, and I'm broken, and I'm thinking, I hate this, I can look at him and go, uh, like, please help, and know that he's going to do something helpful and good, And then, and then I thought about this, like, and if you're not a Christian, you don't, you don't get this, I don't think, but, but I just thought about the way that, that God just communicates with me when I'm doing things that are bad <laughs> my whole life. I, I, this is, I mean, when I do things that I know are wrong already, but I justify them and I work hard to try to, to just go, oh, it'll be okay or whatever, and, and there's God and if you're a Christian, you know what I'm talking about, if you're not, you don't know, but there's God just in the back of my mind saying, you got to fix this, you got to fix this, you got to fix this, and the, and the easiest one is is when I have a fight, this is where I can just see this and admit this, like when I have a fight with my wife, and, and I, I just, we're mad at each other, and all I want to do is be in a different room, and and just, just sit there and not ask for forgiveness, or not say I'm sorry, depending on the situation, like just be done with it, and sit in the other room, and, and I'd let that go on for months, I tell you apart from God, I would let that go on forever, and we would have a horrible marriage, but I'll sit there and say I'm not going to go in there and say I'm sorry, and in the back of my head, there's God, there's God saying, how many times have I forgiven you, get your butt up and walk into the other room. And usually when that voice kicks in, I got like two minutes where I can fight it. You know, like, no way. I'm just going to read this book. Um, And then I get up and I walk into the other room and I say, I'm sorry, even when I'm right. Right. There are relationships in my life that I cannot imagine being without. Family members, friends, that I just can't imagine being without. And when I really stop at the end of the day, beginning of the day, when I'm preparing for a sermon to go, what would it be like without God? It's terrible. And what Paul says is, is, look, this new life And we don't take advantage of this because we just forget about it. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you're the worst, right? We're the worst. We're the worst. We've just always had it and so we don't think about what it means to have a relationship with God. But when when we do, this is not part of the old life. This is only part of the new life. And we should take full advantage of it. If you've ever said like, and, and I'd have, I should pray today then you're taking for granted the relationship that God has given you through the resurrection. Because you should say, I get to pray today. Before Paul encountered the resurrected Savior, he believed that only one person once a year actually got to go into the presence of God. And that person went in there and said, God, sorry for all these sins, help our nation. Paul knew, like, now I just get to get on my knees in my room, (laughs) and God shows up, and God did show up in some crazy ways, God shows up, and he meets me. If you've ever said, I have to pray today, or I should pray today, then you've taken advantage, taken for granted your relationship with God, And, and here's why Paul didn't, even his entire life, I think, why he didn't, maybe there was probably moments, but because of that other part that I already read, he says that this relationship with God is not, it's not for everybody. It's available to everybody, but it doesn't mean everybody has it. Not everybody has righteousness, the right relationship with God. Not everybody can get up tomorrow morning and say, God, this is terrible, I need your help. Not everybody, when they have a fight with somebody, is going to have that voice in the back of their heads. Not everybody gets the benefits of a relationship with God. It comes down to whether or not you will believe against all experience, against all science, what Paul says in the second half of that verse, it's for us who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead and then notice this, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Jesus died for our sins. He died for all of the things that you have done wrong. He died because of those regrets that you have For those things that you don't want anybody to know about, for your deepest, darkest secrets, he died for them. When he was nailed to the cross, your sins were nailed there with him. And he was raised to life for our justification. Another big old church word. It just simply means so that we might be innocent. We cannot have a relationship with God while we are guilty. But Jesus died and he rose again so that we might be innocent. We are acquitted despite our guilt. And then we get a relationship with him. So this morning what I want to say to some of you is that you can have a new life in Jesus And the new life, the new life means a relationship with God that you have never had before. And I can tell you from my own life that it is, it is awesome. I don't always think about how it's awesome, but it is always awesome. And it's always better than a life apart from God. And so if you're not a Christian, I just, what I'm calling you to do is to, to be like Abraham and to against all hope in hope, belief, And to believe this, not that it's possible for everybody to get out of a grave, not that that logically makes sense, not that it's scientific in nature, but to say, I believe that God has the power to do what he has promised, and he has promised that Jesus got out of the grave. And if you're a person who is a Christian, long time, short time, what I'm asking is this this morning. That you remember that apart from the resurrection, it was impossible for you to have a relationship with God. And so when you get up tomorrow morning, you don't take for granted that you can communicate with God. That God is on your side. That God will be there with you during the day. That God will convict you of your sins and help you uh, to get past them. You don't take it for granted, but you say, Jesus, Jesus. Without your death and resurrection, I don't have this. I don't have this. A new life in Christ means a relationship with God. Will you pray with me? Lord, pray for these people. I pray with these people that we would not be a group, a church of Christians that take for granted a relationship with you. And and, and God, you know, as, as much as any sermon, I have no right... To act like I'm above this, because Lord I do I do take for granted what you have given me and all that you do for me and and how I Lord can pray and how I can interact with you and how I can trust you and and how you've been there in my darkest times, my hardest times and and so God, I pray not just for them but for us Lord, that that we would be people who never take for granted this relationship that we can have with you in our new lives. But we would take full advantage of them, God, and we would spend time with you and we'd listen to you. And when we sing to you, Lord, we would sing, God, like like it's the greatest thing on earth that you would listen to us. And when we listen to your word... And read your word, God. We would, we would read it as if it's the greatest thing that you, God, would actually talk to us. Jesus, I pray that we who are Christians would never take for granted that we get to be in a relationship with you. We would live accordingly. And God, for those that don't know you, God, whether they be here now, whether they're listening online, or whether they will watch later, Lord, I pray, God, for those who aren't Christians. I know, God, and I don't always act like it, but I know it's hard to believe in this Christianity thing. But I pray that they would do it anyway, God, because, Lord, there's nowhere else to turn. There's nothing better than the old life apart from your promises. And so, God, I, I pray that they would against all hope. God, in hope, they would believe and they would give their lives to you so that they could have a new life and could have a relationship with you, the greatest being. Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising again. I pray these things in your name. Amen.